Hello and welcome to episode 10 of My Freelance Life, a podcast from the team here at Milo.co. I am Preston and with me on the air today as always is my friend Andy, but I also have on the air with us today my brother Nathan, who I will introduce a little bit later. Nathan is an accountant and he's going to walk us through some financing and bookkeeping and taxes information today, particularly for freelancers in the United States. More to come on that later. If you've listened to this show before, you know by now that Andy recently quit his job to start working for himself. And this is a weekly check-in with Andy to see what really happens when you actually decide to take the leap and start freelancing full-time. You can find show notes for this episode at FreelanceLifePodcast.com. And this very special finance and bookkeeping and taxes episode is brought to you by Bench, the best bookkeeping software that I have personally found and the service that I use to balance all of our finances here at Milo. As I scale up Milo from one-person business to a talented team of folks, I rely on Bench to help get my numbers straight. And here's what I love about them. Not only do you have an easy-to-use app that makes your finances very, very simple to understand, but they also pair you with a team of finance experts. Every month, they'll balance your books, they'll send you reports, they answer any questions that you have. You're not just subscribing to some software. You're hiring an actual team of human beings to help you scale your business but at a very, very affordable price. Listeners of this show can try Bench free for 30 days with this very simple URL, trybench.com. And if you decide to sign up at that URL, you'll not only get a 30-day free trial, but you'll also save 20% on your first six months. Again, that's trybench.com. Very easy to remember. No promo code needed. If you just visit trybench.com, you'll get that special offer. Try Bench. I have, I love it, and I highly recommend it. All right, well, let's jump in then. Going to do a quick introduction here of, of course, everybody knows you, Andy. We're, we're 10 episodes in, which, by the way, congratulations. Woo-hoo! 10 episodes is fantastic. Um, we're 10 episodes into this thing. And the other day, Andy, you uh, texted me because I also am working for myself. And, and I've been working for myself on the side for a little while. And we've sort of learned from each other back and forth. And you asked me something about taxes. And I had some wishy-washy answer for you, but what I said was, hey, you know, we really should record some of these questions and answers on the podcast. And also, I'm not maybe the most qualified to answer the questions. Let's get an accountant on. And it just so happens that my brother, Nathan, or Nate, are we going by Nate or Nathan Nate's today? Nate's great. That, that'll be perfect. All right. <laughs> Nate is great. That's a book <laughs> my kid reads. And uh, we're going to go with Nate. Nate is a an accountant. He's studying to be an accountant, so he has a lot of answers for some of the most common questions that we have in terms of uh, how to prep your taxes and that sort of thing when you're new to freelancing. So, Andy, you had some questions. Where, this is kind of going to be a little bit different. It's going to be Q&A style. Andy, you're going to be asking a lot of the questions today, which is a little bit of a flip for the show. But um, why don't we really quickly, we'll have Nate introduce himself. Nate, if you can just give us like a, a, a 10 or 15 second you know, who you are and what you do. And then we'll jump into maybe Andy's first question. Is that okay, guys? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Great. So um, as, as you said, Press, um, I'm your brother. And um, I did my undergrad at BYU-Idaho and, and finished in accounting. And then came down to Utah State. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm doing a master's in accounting, specializing in financial planning and um, taxation. And I'm going to work as a tax professional in just a couple of months in Salt Lake. Fantastic. So let's jump in here, Andy. I know you had some questions about when you should be paying taxes. What's your what's your first question, actually? Let's see. First question I would probably be that I know that things change when you become uh, self-employed. And and I might use like slightly incorrect terminology. So if I say something that's not like the official word, just interpret me however you think it's supposed to be. And, and feel free to mention if I'm like <laughs> okay. something that doesn't actually make sense. But so my first question is, you know, once you switch from being employed full-time by, by a company to being self-employed, you have to do things differently with taxes. I guess the primary thing is that for me, my taxes are not being withheld every paycheck. And I know there's something that has to do with like, I can't just save it all up and pay it once a year, but I have to pay it quarterly, something like that. So can you explain the differences between being taxed or like what's different about being taxed as a self-employed person? Yeah. So um, you mentioned taxes aren't being withheld because you're not an employee. All withholdings are when you're an employee is an estimated tax payment. 
Um, it can be hard to know, even as an employee, how much you're going to make every year. By the end of the year, you know, you get raises, you get bonuses, you get um, maybe extra income from different side hustles you're doing, stuff like that. So withholdings are meant to be estimated payments. So once you're not an employee anymore, you don't have someone that's withholding some of your taxes and sending it into the IRS every year. So what you have to do is send in, um, it's almost quarterly estimated payments that kind of re replaces the withholdings that you're not getting as an employed individual anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. You said almost quarterly. What, okay. what about it is almost? Yeah. So let me, um, let me explain okay. the schedule a little bit and maybe that'll help clarify how it's not quite quarterly. Assuming that your, your fiscal year or your business year follows the calendar year, here are the, the dates that you have to send in your estimated payments. Um, April 15th, so tax day, mm -hmm. right? And that covers, that covers the first three months of the year, the income that you received in those three months. June 15th, so only two months later, so it covers April and May, the income that you received in, in April and May. September 15th, which is three months later, and that covers June, July, and August. And then January 15th of the following year, and that's for September through December. So it's, I mean, it's really close to quarterly, but the April 15th and the January 15th kind of play around with that a little bit. So it's not exactly every three months. Um, but those are, those are the typical dates, assuming your business year follows the calendar year. Okay. So let me ask a quick interrupting question here. Yeah. When you say your business year, I mean, how, how do, how does Andy know, or how yeah. do I know? if our business year follows the calendar year, what does that even mean? For most businesses, well, the default is that it'll follow the calendar year. So unless you have elected to have a different, it's called a fiscal year, but if you've elected to have a different fiscal year than the calendar year, um, then obviously those dates are, are inaccurate. But anybody that's a sole proprietor really just follows the... Which is basically anyone who hasn't set up like right. an LLC so or an S-Corp or hasn't incorporated their company. Basically, probably anyone listening to this show, definitely me and definitely you, Andy, if you're, if you're just kind of working for yourself and you don't have a separate legal entity, then you're a sole proprietor, right? Right. And even if you do have a separate legal entity, you, you likely will follow a fiscal year calendar year. Um, an exception, let me give you an exception. Walmart, for example, as far as I understand, their their year ends January 31st because the busiest time of year for them is Christmas time, right? Well, they don't want to have all of the returns that come after Christmas that are coming in in January in a different year than they were purchased. Mm -hmm. They don't want to deal with the accounting for that. So they do a January 31st year end where everybody else typically does a December 31st year end. And that's, it's just to try to simplify the accounting and stuff. So they've elected to do that. If you haven't done an election to change your fiscal year to something different than the calendar year, then, then you will follow a, a typical calendar year, especially for tax purposes. And so this is something that you just like get with your accountant on and he or she files some paperwork to get an exception on your fiscal year, or, or is it not that official? Like, I guess we're maybe in the weeds here because most of proprietors or freelancers probably won't need to change their fiscal year, but, but how do you do it if you want to operate differently? I don't know off the top of my head. An accountant, an accountant would know how to do it. Um, it's, I know it's a form that you have to send into the IRS and say, we're not following this anymore, but I don't know off the top of my head exactly what the form is or anything. So, but yeah, that okay. it, it'd be easily done by an accountant. So, yeah. Okay. So does that help answer your question a little bit, Andy? Yeah, it, it does. It's funny to hear, to hear it like a, a sole proprietor. It makes me sound more official than I, than I feel. I thought you actually had to have <laughs> an entity and then you just were the sole proprietor of that entity. But even if you haven't registered a business, even if you're just working as as a freelancer, I don't know how to how to how to specify it. But even just doing what I'm doing, that is considered a sole proprietorship, I guess. It is. So if you are working on your own and you've you've started a, a company, even like it may not be quite exact, but like a little kid with a lemonade stand, <laughs> they create more or less a sole proprietorship because they're not 18. It's a little bit different, but um, they effectively create a sole proprietorship just by being in business and selling lemonade on the corner. So anybody that does any kind of, any kind of work 
um, where they're earning money, it would be considered a sole proprietorship. And then obviously there's other business entities, LLCs, um, partnerships, S-corps, things that that you can set up that provide uh, different tax treatment and different liability protection and, and things like that. But um, most, I would say, most people that are working for themselves are a good a good amount of them are, are likely just sole proprietors that haven't set up a, an entity or anything like that, a different business entity. Yeah, basically, if you haven't done the official paperwork to set up a different business entity, then you are by default a sole proprietor. So like even I'm a sole proprietor of Milo, uh, the company that brings you this podcast, by the way. Uh, even though we have like, you know, Andy, I pay you to help with this podcast. I pay podcast editors. I pay uh, content managers for the blog. I pay writers. I pay um, someone to help with sponsorships. Like we have a team, but I'm still a sole proprietor uh, because we haven't yet converted mm-hmm. the business to a partnership or an LLC or an S corp or anything like that. And so, yeah, for everyone listening out there wondering how you file your business, you are a sole proprietor until you file the paperwork to be something else. And and that's maybe a conversation for another day is like, when is the right moment to be an LLC or to be something else? And what are the benefits to being a sole proprietor versus being incorporated in some way? But, but maybe we can dig into that another day, but I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah, I, I have one question. How? Well, I have more than one question, but about this particular <laughs> thing. How does this, being a sole proprietor, differ from, like in the past, I've had, say, a standard job or, or standard multiple standard jobs throughout the course of a year. And I get my forms in, in January to file my income tax or reporting my income and withholding, I guess, technically. And but then there were also other things that I did on the side, maybe small little projects that earned a little bit of money here and there. And I would report those when I would file um, my income taxes. I, w- I would put in my form data like normal. And then I would also be able to put in, sometimes it came through as like a 1099 miscellaneous. Sometimes there wasn't a form to go with it and I just had to type it in. So how how does that differ from now where that is the main source of income like essentially was i ha- before having a couple of jobs and a couple like standard um w2s and then i was being like a sole proprietor on the side is that how it was or is it different yeah so um your question is a little bit loaded so let me try to um attack it as best i can <laughs> but um so before you said that when you were working and you did a few things on the side let's assume Let's assume for a second that you didn't receive a 1099 miscellaneous. I'll talk about that in a second, but that's kind of a different subject a little bit. So if you were doing things on the side, let's say that I started a a blog or something and was making some money off of a blog. So you do have to report that as income when you file your taxes. Um, and, And how that goes onto your taxes is in the form of, it's called a Schedule C, which is... Um, a form that you attach to your form 1040, which reports to the IRS, your income taxes for the year. So what a schedule C is, is it, it basically explains your business income and business expenditures for the year. So if I had this blog, I would include all income. Maybe it was, um, I don't know enough about blogs, but maybe it was advertising income and advertise. It would be like advertising, selling some digital products, maybe doing a course. Yeah. So all of those would be included as income and any, any expenses. If I hired somebody else out to help write for this blog or um, to provide eBooks or or digital content or whatever, or we're also talking like your web hosting, Mm -hmm. um, your domain registration, your email marketing software, anything like that. Yeah. All of that. So thanks press, you know a lot more about it than I do. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so your schedule C would include both the income and the expenditures. Interestingly enough, when it comes to taxes and you have a business, you want to get your income as low as possible, obviously, because you're going to be taxed on that income, right? Uh, where, you know, in real life, we don't really, we don't want to get income as low as possible our our net income because (laughs) we don't have as much cash to go spend. So, um, so anyway, Wait, can I interject something real quick here before I forget? Does that, is that true? Even if you're not itemizing deductions as a whole, because for me, I've, I've never worried about tracking little things that I've, that I've paid for this 
or, or that because I know I'm not going to be itemizing deductions in the future. Is it still um, valid if you're taking a standard deduction to do this for your Schedule C? Yes. Yeah, so, so those are two different things. I don't own a business currently. So whether I own a business or not, I can either take the standard deduction or I can itemize my deductions. And usually business expenses are not included on itemized deduction. Okay. The only exception is there's, there's an area that you can include some employee expenses. So for example, um, a nurse may be required to buy scrubs to go to work, right? She can't, she's not going to wear those scrubs just around the house or outside or, or anywhere else. That Why not? They're really comfortable. That's, you know, that's <laughs> true. But, um, but she's typically not going to wear those scrubs any other time. They're only going to be used when she's acting as an employee. So she can use those on her itemized deductions that will decrease her overall income that she's taxed on. He or she, I guess, that, that they're taxed on. But for a business, those little things that you're talking about, maybe you run to a store and and grab a a Sharpie or a pack of Sharpies or something because you use that as part of your business, whatever you're doing, that's a business expense. And it will decrease your revenue or your your total income. And you want to, to decrease that as much as possible on your Schedule C so that whatever your net income is on your Schedule C then flows to the rest of your income for your taxes. Dang, so, so you want to be including those things, even if you take the standard deduction, which most people will starting in 2018, because it, it doubled essentially. And if you don't, you're paying your taxes on the gross that your sole proprietorship made instead of the net, meaning you're paying taxes on money that you never got to put in your pocket because you had to spend it on that Sharpie or on gas to drive to your client's office or on a new computer or whatever you can you can take all of those expenses and actually whittle down your net income so that the, the you're only paying taxes on the actual money that you've put in your pocket. Is that right? That's right. And then there's obviously there's other ways that you can try to whittle that down as much as possible. But yeah, when you go to a when you go to a store and, and pick up a little thing here or there, if it's used for your business and it needs to be solely used for your business. You want to make sure that you either keep the receipt or or write it down and and can prove that you actually did purchase it because you want to include it on your Schedule C as a business expense. So first of all, what you're saying is the new computer that I need to purchase soon, I should have bought back in December, probably. And <laughs> secondly, um, can you expound on something that's solely used for it? Because like I said, I do need to um, upgrade my computer and I... I use it very much so for work, but it's also just my laptop. So I'm going to, you know, do my email on there and I'll watch Netflix occasionally. Like if it's, it, does that not count then because it's used for more than one thing, but it is also like my primary business computer at the same time. Yeah. So <laughs> it may <laughs> have been a good idea to buy it back in, in December. Um, so with expenses, because I'm a podcaster and not an accountant, let me take a stab at it. It's been my experience in the past that I can say like I used 50% of my computer that cost $2,000, for example, to do work and the other 50% was personal. And so then it it, it only deducts, you know, $1,000 from my gross revenue to get me to my net number. Does that make sense? And so I, uh, Nate's going to have a more official answer, but I, but I know in, in using sort of tax software before it'll ask me like, did you buy any new equipment this year? I'll say, yes. They'll say, how much did it cost? I'll say $2,000. They'll say what percentage of your time using this equipment was for your business. And I'll say 50% and I'll sort of just guess what that number is. Um, and then then they do the numbers for me because, you know, not an accountant. But anyway, I don't know, Nate, do you have some further insight on that? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great way to, to go about saying it. Thinking about Andy's computer and, and you know, wanting to include that. Yeah, that, that's going to decrease your income. And if you need it, your your net income, I should say. And if you need it for your business, then by all means, use it for your business and and count it as an expenditure for your business because tax wise, it's going to help you. You're spending the mother, the money either way, right? You have to, you've decided that you needed to go get a computer. You want it for personal use. You want it for business use. Um, yeah, that's, you want to make sure that you include the part okay. that you're using for your, your business as an expense. It, it does get a little bit 
it does get a little bit tricky with things like um, deducting home office use. And I don't want to go too deep into that, but that is something if you have a home office that you use for your business, it does have to be the the official term is regular and exclusive. Let me give you an example. Someone that I was doing some taxes for a couple of years ago, they had an office with a bathroom off the side of it and they wanted to deduct as a business expense the yeah. that portion of, of their yeah. um, home expenses at, from the use of their office, if that makes sense. So they wanted to take a portion of their utilities. They wanted to take a portion of their property taxes, all of that, because they use their home office. And, and the rule is regular and exclusive. So if they had a kid, maybe a, a, a kid that's potty training or something like that, that then had to run into that bathroom that's right off of the home office, that that was the only time of the year that they used it um, not for work or as a regular and exclusive area, they can't count the bathroom anymore. So it has to be only <laughs> for your business. Um, Which is so crazy because the kid could go to the bathroom at your office office, yeah. like if it wasn't connected to your home, right? Yeah. And you'd still be fine. Yeah. Well, and, it's such a, it's such a fine line. And proving it is very difficult too. how, if you were to be audited right. by the IRS, how do they prove that your kid used the bathroom back in June and it's now two years later or something like that, you know? So the idea yeah. is that you, it's kind of an honor system. You follow it. That's, that's the idea here. But, um, but yeah, so for, for things like computers, you can take the, the portion that you use for your business. Again, proving that can be very difficult. Who has the burden of proof in that? Is it that you're assu- it's assumed as not used for business and you have to prove that it was? Or is it assumed that what you reported is true and the IRS, if they were to audit you, is given the burden of proving that it was not used? So you as the taxpayer has the burden of proof. If you, if you happen to get audited by the IRS, okay. um, let me, let me say this, the, I was looking it up the other day, the IRS audits, like, don't quote me exactly on this, but it's like one to 2% of all taxpayers. And I think it's, it's around 2% or something like that for sole proprietors. So it's not something that is common and, and it's so dr- um dramatized in movies and on TV and stuff that it's this awful Uh process. And usually it's like they send you a notice saying, can you prove that your home office was used regularly and exclusively? And if you can, you send them back paperwork. And if you can't, then they'll say, okay, now you owe us another $20 or something like that. So, So what kind of documentation should a person be keeping to prove it? I mean, how do you prove that you only used your office for work? You know, that, I, I've never I've never heard or learned about anything specific than, that you could do. You could you could put a lock on the door, and then if the IRS was questioning it, you could send them a picture that um, I don't know if they'd even accept it. But you could you could prove to them that you had a lock on the door and that it wasn't used by your family when you know when you weren't there or mm-hmm. anything like that. But or I don't know. I I heard a story one time. I don't know if it even worked, but someone taped off an area so their their home <laughs> office was um in a in a big room that their kids used yeah. and their family used and stuff and they taped it off and no one was allowed inside the tape whether that worked <laughs> i don't know i'm not i'm not an irs agent i haven't studied it from that perspective or anything um but it, it can be it can be really difficult to prove regular and exclusive um usually like i said usually unless you're trying to, to get away with some crazy expenditure for regular and exclusive, like half your home, then it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, It doesn't raise any alarms or anything for them. Yeah. Because even if you do include it and it wasn't regular and exclusive or the principal place of business or anything like that, then it's going to cost you an extra maybe 20 or $30. I don't know. It could be more than that, but it's not going to be some crazy amount. It's, it's almost not worth it for the IRS to worry about it or for you to worry about it. So it's kind of, as far as I understand, it's, it's more of an honor system in that sense. Same with, same with like a computer. How do you prove that? I mean, you could, I guess you could log it. There's probably a software that allows you to say, I'm now working and you could log how much you're on it while you're working and how much you're on it while you're watching Netflix or, or doing whatever else um, that you want to do. But Again, it's it's not 
easy just to prove it. It's, it's meant to be, here's kind of what I do. I want to be honest with the IRS. I want to pay the taxes that I need to pay because I use the roads. I use, I let the military protect me, all of these things, right? So let me just pay my fair share, but nothing more than my fair share. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I Can I uh, merge back to one of our original threads and um, with a question that is... Um, I remember in the past, like I was mentioning, earning a little income on the side and I'd go to report it and it would say, it would ask me, um, is this something to the effect of, is this the first year you've done this or are you continuing to, or are you planning to do this again next year? What was it trying to decide by asking that? Can you tell me who was asking that? It was probably on TurboTax or something like that. Oh, like a a tax software system. Like a tax preparation thing. And then, sorry, tell me one more time what, what they were saying. It would, is this your first year or do you have other years? Yeah, so I would I would type in, you know, I earned X amount from doing this little side project or whatever. And I don't know if it gave me an option to categorize it or if I just typed it in and it, and it would say, like, do you plan to be doing uh, tech consulting next year as well or something? And it felt like it was trying to determine whether this was a one-time like a little bit of miscellaneous income or if this should be um, viewed as like, oh, he's actually self-employed now and we need to tax that differently. Do you know what that might have been? You know, the only thing that I can think of with that is a lot of a lot of people will use the same tax software from year to year. So they're probably trying to get a feel so that when you log on the next year, um, they'll ask you, they'll be reminded or prompted to ask you, did you have any of this, um, any of this tech income that you also reported last year? Other than that, I'm not sure because you can't just, you can't just include it as miscellaneous income, even if you're not planning on doing it for the future or anything, any, any year that you do any kind of work that it would be you earning income based on services you're providing or products you're selling, it's considered small business income. And you did say you were going to talk about 1099 miscellaneous. Did we cover that as we were going off on other tangents or is that still something that we haven't mentioned? No. So let me, let me try to approach that a little little bit right now. This is, this is in a lot of ways separate from your schedule C, your, your business income that you report. um, And, kind of connected this is why this is you know taxes are are to be honest the the internal revenue code is a nightmare so trying to explain this to people is also a nightmare but we'll see what we can do so with the 1099 miscellaneous if a business hires out someone to work for them not necessarily as an employee maybe they hire them as an independent contractor or something like that and they pay them more than I believe in 2017 and 2018, it's $600, then they have to send them what's called a 1099 miscellaneous. And what that is, is it tells you how much um, they paid you that you need to include in your taxes. So most often that's not considered small business income. Now it can be because you as a sole proprietor may be hired to do some work for someone. Maybe you're a graphic designer or something like that, and you're hired to do some work for someone and they pay you two grand to do the work or something like that. And, and they may be required to, to send you a 1099 miscellaneous. Here's the thing with that. When we had talked a little bit before, you had mentioned that some of these online freelance marketplaces that you saw something, Andy, that said that they're not going to be sending out 1099 miscellaneous, even if you make more than $600. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I was looking at that a little bit, to be honest, they, they must know something that I don't because I, I thought that if you did some work like that and it was greater than $600, they, they were required to send you a 1099 miscellaneous. I'm sure their accountants and and lawyers probably found some loophole that gets them out of that legally. I'm not. And, and this is this is speculation, but my guess is it's because the client is paying you. It could be not not uh, Upwork paying you necessarily. Upwork's taking their fee off the top of what client X and Y and Z are paying you, Andy, as a freelancer. And so it's sort of your responsibility between the three of you to figure out uh, the the legalities of you know reporting your income and that sort of thing. Is is my guess. The the other thing too is depending on how you 
send and receive payment can also impact whether you need to send 1099s or receive 1099s or both. Um, like, for example, I have a bunch of contractors, uh, you know, on our team. We're basically a team of contractors. No one's a full-time employee at Milo. And <clears throat> we we do all of our payment processing through PayPal. And PayPal somehow legally works out that... Um, that all of that income and all of those transactions are already reported to the government. And so um, I don't have to send 1099s. Like for example, Andy, I won't be sending you a 1099 next year for the work that we've done on the podcast this year um, because it'll all come through PayPal. Does that make sense? So I don't, I don't know exactly. We'll, the show notes for this episode, I think are going to be nuts because we'll link up as many resources as we can in terms of like, I, I can find the the documentation about the PayPal thing that I just said. We can find all the forms and the schedules and all the things that you need for your tax work. But, um, but yeah, I think it, it, it depends a lot on how you get paid, who's paying you, how much they're paying you and all that kind of thing. Right, Nate? Yeah. So that, that please, that's a, a big part of it. Definitely. Um, you said it really well pressed that it, it depends on who and how and everything. And that's probably how it works with, with Upwork and Fiverr and, and these different freelance, um, sites. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not exactly in the know on, on how they do it or don't do it. Here's, let me tell you this, Andy is, as you, if you're heavily involved or, or even, uh, not heavily involved with, with freelance sites like that, every time that they send you um, payment of any kind for your services, I'd I'd write it down. I'd put it into some kind of a file on your computer. I keep track of it, um, and then also keep track of any any expenditures that are related to that income mm-hmm. specifically. So um, maybe time on your computer, how long it took, something like that. If you had to. If you had to buy some kind of a notebook and you have pens or something that you bought that are used as part of your business, something like that, then include all of those. Those will be those will go on your Schedule C, especially if they don't send you a 1099 miscellaneous. So if you're not given a 1099 miscellaneous, it goes as a as a business on a Schedule C, and it's possible to have multiple schedule C's because you have multiple unrelated businesses. Um, if you do graphic design for someone and then also um, buy and sell something through the Amazon marketplace and maybe tutor someone on the side, those are, those are three unrelated businesses and each one would require a schedule C reporting all of the income that was earned from that and all of the expenditures related to that income. What it took really to interesting. Yeah. So so okay. So so what about um, okay. what if I own a small media company and we have a blog that makes money and a newsletter that makes money and three podcasts that make money? Is that that's all the same thing, right? Like I can put that all on one schedule C because it's sort of one business venture. Is that right? Yeah, because because they're related. Um, okay, the- but if I started doing like portrait photography, yeah. And they weren't related. Not related. Or singing telegrams. What's that? You're right. Yeah. Or singing telegrams. Or singing telegrams. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So if they're if they're not related, then they need to be reported separately. I've I've done some tax work for people that had four or five Schedule Cs because they had four or five small businesses that provided all of their income for the year. Um, hmm, none of interesting. Them, and none of them were related to the other. Um, and that that can include between spouses too. If if one spouse Andy, let's say that let's say that you do a whole lot of work on on Upwork or Fiverr or something like that, and your wife isn't involved in that at all, and she does a lot of work on um, yeah Udemy. Or well, she does. Like, like let's let's not talk about medicals, right? What does Brittany do again? Is she a, a photographer? Or a- I, I was actually going to ask this thing next. Um, yeah, so I I do spreadsheet development and small business tech consulting and whatnot, and she also works. Uh, entirely independently. She works for a company called VIP Kid where she does online tutoring and teaching of English. And so for one, I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious that we would need to have different schedule C's for this, but also are are we both looking at like two separate sole proprietorships because we'll file as 
married filing together? Or is it that one of them, say the one that brings in more is that sole proprietorship and the other one can be classified as miscellaneous? Or would you not do that? Or would there be no benefit to doing that anyway? Or Yeah. Yeah. Those are my questions on that. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I don't... I don't know how VipKid handles their um, their tax work necessarily. So if your wife receives a 1099 miscellaneous, then she's not an employee, right? Meaning, she's, yeah, she's not an employee. First of all, the first question is like, is she an employee of the company? If, if she receives a 1099 instead of a W two, yeah, then she's not an employee, right? So employees receive W twos. Independent contractors and sole proprietors can receive 1099s. 1099 miscellaneous. So if she receives a 1099. Then what were you saying, Nate? What's the next question? Well, I need to I need to look and see. I'm pretty sure that you can include 1099 miscellaneous on your Schedule C um, as a sole proprietor. You can. You can. From my experience, okay. yeah. That's and that's that's kind of what I was thinking. So so with a 1099 miscellaneous, you may be required to let me give you another example of a 1099 miscellaneous. If I go to if I go to Las Vegas and gamble and win $50,000 or something like that, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend as an accountant, by the way. But um, if I go... You don't recommend winning winning $50,000? I don't recommend gambling to try to win $50,000. I see. I see. <laughs> okay, yeah. But if I win... I think this will pertain to a lot of people. A lot of people out there wondering, what do I do when I win $50,000 in Las Vegas? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so if I go to Vegas and win... $50,000, whatever casino I'm at is required to send me a 1099. And that goes, I'm not a, I'm not a sole proprietor at that point. So it can be put on a different place on your, on your form 1040, which is the form that allows you to report your income taxes as a whole, where a 1099 miscellaneous, if your wife's receiving it through VIP kid, she's not an employee. If she does tutoring services, I would see that as um, a, a sole proprietorship, as a business that she then includes as a Schedule C. Um, there may be some CPAs that choose not to, to do it that way. That's the thing is there's a lot of gray area with tax work, um, but that's how I see it. So you would do a Schedule C for your spreadsheet development business, and she would do one for her tutoring through VipKid, even if she receives a 1099 miscellaneous. So even if you're married filing jointly, it, that doesn't make a difference. You can have one Schedule C for your wife, one Schedule C for you. They'll both flow together onto your regular 1040 form. Um, it would be the same as if my wife was out working and I was out working and we, and we both received W-2s. They both flow together onto the line that allows us to put our our income from being employed. You can't just count it as miscellaneous income necessarily because you have a schedule C and, and a sole proprietorship and she does other work on her own. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I wonder though, if it sounds like you kind of are maybe somewhat restricted to how you can file based on what you receive. I, and not that I would anyway, cause it's probably, it's not the right category, but I couldn't file it is miscellaneous income for me because I don't receive a 1099 miscellaneous. If she does receive it, it is the benefit for her to file as a schedule C put like the 1099 through a schedule C as opposed to just, you know, freestanding. Is that because do you need to file it through as on a schedule C to deduct the expenses alongside it? Or is there another reason why you wouldn't just file the 1099 on its own without going through a schedule C? Yeah, so um, let me think about how to how to say this. So, without getting into too much, with with a Schedule C business income, you are required to pay income taxes on that and self employment yeah. taxes on it. And we can talk about that in a second if we have time and if you'd like. Um, you have to pay both. So, anytime that you cannot. If any time that you can do anything other than a Schedule C, it can actually be beneficial to you if you can do it legally and and you know following IRS code and stuff, because then you don't have to pay the self employment tax. If 
However, if you are required to include it, then obviously you have to pay the self-employment tax. So you can't just, it's not just picking and choosing. Um, Press, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to look at this. I'm not, to be honest, for both of you, I'm not as familiar with 1099 miscellaneous as I am other things, because for a lot of people, it's it's kind of a newer thing, especially with these, um, especially with all of this freelance work that's getting more and more popular. They're becoming more and more popular. But to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time studying mm-hmm. them or or doing much with them. So I'm trying to figure out the answer really quick. And in my in my limited experience, if you use you know, the tax software, or if you hire an accountant, uh, for the most part, they'll know what to do when you get a 1099. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're sort of speaking hypothetically as if, as if you're completely on your own to do this. And, um, I think it's just a good reminder. You can hire an accountant. You can use accountant tax software, um, that will guide you through some of these things. Like when I've not known what to do, a lot of times it'll show up in my software and say, you know, we noticed you have two 1099s. Are they part of this business or are they part of something else? And then you'll say, oh, they're part of something else. And then they're like, okay, great. We're going to just make those miscellaneous income on your <laughs> personal taxes. And and then this other stuff is your business. And so I, I think like um, the nice thing is you don't have to fill it out yeah. like with pen and paper anymore. <laughs> you know, you can, these, these tax softwares are built to sort of walk you through the process of of filing it the right way based on the paperwork that you've received. And, and then at the end, historically for me, it's always said like, what other income do you have to report? And that's when I report anything else that I didn't get forms for or paperwork for anything else that I have on my own books that I know I made, but that no one ever sent me a 1099 for. That sounds comforting because (laughs) either going through an accountant or through tax preparation software that we, we receive the forms we receive, we document the income, that we receive, uh, we document the expenses, et cetera. And then when it comes down to time to filing, you can either share that with your accountant or, or enter it into the software. And ideally you'll be guided by that to know the best way to file it. Maybe, maybe what's a more, um, applicable question that, that I could have asked is, is along the lines of what, what do I, I feel like we haven't talked about much the, the quarterly thing we talked about at the beginning, but so for me, coming into this this year and filing season, I did not file quarterly because I started freelancing in September and maybe there was one or two quarterly filings that I should have done since then. And I haven't, am I penalized for that for one? And for two, like, how do I start doing that? That's, and that might be rather applicable for a lot of people too, if they're just getting started. I think it's actually one of the most applicable questions we can ask because I've been doing this for... I don't know, eight years, nine years. And every year I pay, (laughs) sounds ridiculous saying it out loud, but every year I pay a penalty because I don't pay on a quarterly basis. And I pay at the end of the year, like when I file my personal taxes, they're like, Hey, you know, you should have been paying quarterly taxes all along. And so I ended up paying a penalty, but I, but I've been doing this for seven, eight years and I still don't know, uh, mostly because I haven't taken the time to investigate. So there's no real excuse, but I don't know like how I even file quarterly, you know, these term, these like turbo taxes and H and R block and blah, blah, blah. They, they do a great job of like promoting their software around tax time, but all the rest of the tax times of the year that I'm supposed to be paying taxes, no one's saying anything. And so I, I don't really know where to even start. You know what I mean? So yeah, Nate, could you run us through, you had yeah. mentioned like April, June, I don't even remember September or something like that, but, but I always thought you paid ahead of time. You estimated what you were going to make in that quarter and then you paid ahead and then you get a tax refund at the end of the year if you overpaid, but maybe I was misunderstanding it. Can you give us a quick walkthrough? Um, with a, with a 1099 miscellaneous, you are considered a self-employed business. If your primary purpose is to make a profit and your activity is regular and continuous. So something like VipKid, if she's doing it all year, it would be considered a business and needs a Schedule C. If it's um, a contractor that gets hired by another contracting company to tile a kitchen, and that's the only time that they do it through that year, it's not considered a business and doesn't require okay. a Schedule C. That's that's good, yeah. So that kind of, hopefully that helps with that a little bit. Um, regarding regarding esti- estimated payments, it's not quite as complicated as it sounds. And the IRS has actually done a, a decent job of, of making it easy for you. Let me tell you this first. You can actually pay online, and I'm pretty sure they have a, 
a pay on your phone feature. So you can, they've, they've got it so that it's, it's easy. It's, you can do it electronically. You can hook up, um, a bank account and give them your routing number and everything and, and have it pulled out. So that makes it really easy for that with, um, estimating how much you need to pay. That can be the trickier part. However, in order to avoid penalties, you either need to pay 100% of the tax that you paid from last year. So, so if I'm in 2000, let's see, in 2018, when I go to, to do my estimated payments, if I owned a business, then I would look at how much I paid in 2000 for my 2017 taxes total. And I need to pay 100% of that quarterly, like um, spaced out over, over, over the year quarterly, or 90% of what I estimate to make this year. Now, if you're only, if you own a business, yeah, it, I think it can be really hard to figure out 90% of what you're going to make this year. Hopefully you're going to make a million dollars. You might make $50,000. You know what I mean? So the safe, and it's, it's gotta be the lesser of the two. So you're safe to do whatever you owed in the previous year, your taxes, split that into four and make those four estimated payments on April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th of the following year. And it'll count for the previous year. Um, Andy, to, to answer your question specifically where you started in September, technically you needed to pay an estimated payment by January 15th, unless you were to file your taxes today, which I am guessing you're probably not prepared to, to, complete and send in today. So um, you may be required to pay a little yeah. bit of a penalty. It kind of depends on what your income was and, and any possible withholdings that you had leading up to September when you started freelancing more. Um, if it covered okay. 100% of your previous year, the tax liability that you had, then you'd be okay. Um, and that's, that's mm-hmm. mostly just for the penalty. So if you don't do that then you have to pay a penalty. But if you choose not to do it, then when you file your taxes in March or April of, of the next year, then you'll have to pay your entire tax liability, which a lot of people don't like to do because, you know, who has, it sucks. Who has two or $3,000 sitting around and who wants to spend two or $3,000 to pay their taxes all at one time. It hurts a little bit less when you have to space it out, even though it's the same amount of well, actually, what we've been doing, and, and this doesn't get rid of the, the penalty aspect, and I'd be interested to know what percentage that is or how that's calculated, if you know. But what we've been doing is we took, uh, I can't remember exactly the percentage, and we've like done our own withholding. So every time we got paid from um, our various freelance platforms, we've set aside into a separate account a percentage of that. So when tax season did come around, it would it would still not be fun to turn over a big chunk at once, but at least we had it set aside. So I guess a couple questions along that is how is a penalty calculated and, and is it like egregious or is it, is it somewhat manageable? Is it potentially even worth not having to, to worry about the quarterly taxes and just accept the, the penalty as like a convenience fee? And secondly, um, how much, should one withhold if they wanted to to do it that route? If there is a recommendation even. Andy, that's kind of in my philosophy. And and maybe this is a good point to say, if you, like, we are not legal, we are not official legal counselors, we are not even CPAs, uh, none of us. And so uh, please, like, when you have questions like this, consult with an actual legal and tax professional so that you're not caught unawares with the IRS or anything like that. We, we'd hate for anything to, to go wrong. And, um, but, but we're sort of giving you our, our best, uh, our, I guess our personal experiences and, and also kind of our best, uh, judgment on on all of these questions but here's been my experience andy and then nate you can share with us the right answer <laughs> um i i basically i basically do what you said is i just i'm i just happen to know that there's going to be a penalty and i sort of take it as a convenience fee because i i haven't wanted to trouble you know with filing taxes four times a year now up until now that has been a side business and so 
the revenue has been lower than what I anticipate it to be this year where I'm full-time working on the business. And so I, I hope I'll be able to file quarterly this year so that I can avoid that penalty. But it's been my experience that, that, that the tax liability is somewhere in the, in the ballpark of like 15% of your revenue. So that might be a good number to set aside. Again, Nate, you can give us official numbers if you want after I'm done rambling here. But I've, I've seen about 15, 15-ish percent, um, 15 to 25, I guess I'd say for a range uh, on, on the money that I make as a sole proprietor. Does that 15 to 25% in include because there's like the standard percentage based on the bracket you fall in but then there's also that like additional self-employment tax is that 15 to 25 cover both of those or is it just one of those two nate will know better but i think i've seen I, i'm just trying to remember what i've seen in the past is something of like 15 percent on my self-employment and then on top of that i pay personal okay. taxes so um but but nate i'm gonna <laughs> stop guessing nate can nate can tell us officially what the numbers look like has it been worth it to you to pay that penalty each year as a convenience fee? The, the penalty each year has been like less than a few hundred dollars, okay. like like maybe $250 or something. And then the IRS also does this weird thing where um, they, <laughs> they'll send me a thing that says, hey, you forgot to pay your penalty, so mail us a check. And then we mail the check. And then two days later before our check's even gotten to the IRS, we'll get a thing that says, hey, you overpaid, so here's a refund check. <laughs> so then we'll get that. And it's like there's so much paperwork going back and forth between me and the IRS come tax time that it's it's kind of a mess. And so I, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it, but, you know, it's not an exorbitant amount. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. frankly – as much as I'll pay an accountant or a tax software to file four times a year. So and, and your your own time if you have to spend however many hours right. four times a year doing that. That's right. Yeah. And so so I've sort of always just said, look, it'll all come out in the wash come tax time. But again, I don't know if I necessarily recommend okay. that. Um, when you're running a side hustle, it's a little bit different than when you're doing it full time. You know, you're really strapped for time and resources when you're running a side business, which is what I've been doing for the last eight years and now I'm finally doing this full time. So I don't know if I'd recommend it. Um, but, but you know, it, it has been like reasonable. It has okay. been doable. That's sure. comforting because I know that I don't really have an option this time around. <laughs> I'll see what it looks like when, <laughs> right. when I do file. Right. You know, you started in the fall of last year yeah. and you maybe made some money earlier in the year, but my guess is you didn't make as much while you were working your full time thing. And so, um, you, you may not have as big of a penalty this year as you will next year if you don't pay your taxes this year yeah. that was a lot of this year next year but if you don't pay your taxes the current year next year then you you will have and a it, it penalty. seems like i mean technically maybe the 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 projects that i did and completed or the, the payments i received before i quit my full-time job technically in, in my mind that would be seen as um, not schedule c not self-employment tax liable but the because it was relatively low and because of the like intricacies and it, it might be just as well to just say, pull out a report from Upwork, how much was I paid in, in 2017 and just assume that that all happened after I quit. I don't think the difference is going to be something so significant that it would be worth trying to split it up between the two. And again, you may want to consult like an actual legal professional if you're listening or Andy, you may even want to, but uh, I would actually say that your because it's the same business that every dollar that you made doing like spreadsheet work this year or last year, I should say, uh, yeah, counts that's... toward the same thing. Like there's, there's not like, well, I did this on the side and then I did this full time. They're the same business. You just were only putting in, you know, two hours a day and now you're putting in eight hours a day or whatever. And so just be, just because you had sort of a life situation change yeah. doesn't change the business entity as a sole proprietor. In my opinion, again, Nate can correct me, but um, I would say all of that income needs to be reported this year on your schedule. C. Yeah. Okay. I, I would that, definitely that agree sense. with that. Okay. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about, about the penalty. There's a failure to pay penalty, which is 0.5, so half a percent per month on anything that you failed to pay. So if you owed, let's say that your, your estimated tax that you owed for the first um, quarter that had to be paid by April 15th was $1,000, then you owe a penalty of $5 for every month. And that's on top of interest that the IRS charges. So the interest rate varies. It's usually determined by current market rates, but the penalty is a consistent 0.5%. 
So it, I mean, it can, it can really vary. If you're making a lot of money and you owe a lot in taxes and you choose not to do your estimated payments, it could be a substantial penalty. And, you know, you already don't want to pay your taxes. Nobody wants to pay taxes. So I wouldn't want to be paying that much more. You'd press, you'd kind of mentioned that sometimes you felt like it was just worth it to pay the penalty rather than having to deal with estimating and everything. Let me go back. I'm not sure that I explained it very well. It, it can be really easy to do estimated payments. And the IRS has tried to make it really easy to do estimated payments. People are starting to get ready to file their taxes for 2017, right? If they go to file their taxes and they owe, let's say they owe a total of $5,000 for 2017. That includes everything. That includes self-employment taxes, maybe penalties that they paid on not doing estimated payments, their regular income taxes, everything that, that they report using tax software or using a CPA or, or however they do it. So $5,000, right? When you go to make estimated quarterly payments, if you'll split that $5,000 into four, so $1,250, and send in $1,250 on those four dates, the April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th, then you don't have to pay a penalty because you covered 100% of your um, of your previous year's tax liability. And then, so even if it's not right, even like come next year, we find that 1250 a quarter wasn't right. The fact that you based it off of the previous year makes you innocent, I guess, and you don't have to pay the, the penalty. Right. It, right, it avoids the penalty. It avoids you having to pay the penalty. Then when you go to file your taxes, the, the next year after you've made those four quarterly payments, if you overpaid, then you'll get a refund. If you underpaid, then you'll have to pay a little bit more, but at least you're not paying a penalty oh. because you failed to make estimated payments. So that, that really simplifies the whole process of figuring out how much you needed to pay. Um, so there's no penalty for paying the wrong amount. The, the penalty is just for not making an estimated payment. There's only a penalty for paying the wrong amount. If it isn't a hundred percent of last year's, total tax liability that you owed or 90% of the current year. It's got to be the lesser of those two. And most people don't know 90% of the current year. So they pay a hundred percent of the previous year. And then, and most people hope that year over year, their business does better. But if, if you're maybe expecting to do half as much work, like let's say Andy, you decide to get a job next year um, and you, and you're going to be freelancing half as much as, as you are this year, then maybe, um, man, we're dealing with a lot of years here, but, but eventually <laughs> you would, you would maybe not, not pay the full hundred percent of a full year of freelancing when yeah. you know, you're only going to be able to do a, like a half year, for example. Yeah. You may choose not. Right, yeah. You may choose not to, you may try to do the 90% of the current year included with, uh, and that includes estimated payments and withholdings from your new job, estimated payments and withholdings to the IRS are the same thing. They're just trying to get you to pay as you go rather than waiting until year end and then not having the money to pay it. They want you to. Yeah. Because frankly, yeah, it's more likely that they actually get their money and don't have to chase it down. Right. If you pay it quarterly, because you don't, you know, a lot of people don't have the self-discipline to save it up or whatever. So this last year for me, because I'm starting freelancing, I, my, when I file this year, well, when I file now for last year, um, I can take my total tax liability divide it by four and moving forward, starting on April 15th, pay quarterly taxes based on that. Now that's, it, it doesn't matter that last year was half self-employment tax or self-employment income anyway. I still have to pay for the whole 100% even in its mixed state. Is that right? Yeah. So yes, but with the understanding that you might, you might have more to pay come yeah. tax season next. But just for the sake of the, the penalty, right? they, they don't care that yeah. some of it was self-employed, some of it wasn't. No. They just look no. at like the actual number on the form. To them, money is money. They don't care how you earned it. They just want to make sure that you're paying your taxes. So okay. it doesn't matter, partly self-employment or partly from being an employee of, of somebody else. They, it's just 100% of the total taxes that you paid in the previous year. So Okay. Yeah. So don't split out. You don't want to split out. If you started in September, you don't want to split out the taxes that you owed from September to December and then pay a hundred percent of that. Don't do that. You want to do a hundred percent of the previous year's taxes that you owed. Okay. Total. And these are filed, these um, quarterly taxes, are they filed by business or 
just specifically for like a freelancer's um, situation, like are they filed per business or per tax filing entity? In my case, my wife and I. So do my wife and I file one quarterly payment together or not file? Do we pay one quarterly payment together and then another payment quarterly? Or do we have to like pay them individually? That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're married filing jointly, then you would pay them collectively. You'd pay them together. Um, because, because the hundred percent that you're going to be looking at is based on your, unless you got married in the last year, it's based on your married filing jointly, um, tax taxes owed for the previous year. It doesn't split out for the previous year. So how can you split it out when you're making your estimated payments? So it's just, it's the total that you and your wife would have together. One other thing, this is all federal. So and this may depend on what state you're in, but do states require you to do the <laughs> quarterly filing as well? Is it a fairly similar situation? Yeah, so I, I have to answer that question in a way that I always hate <laughs> people answering questions. It depends. I hate answering questions like that. But unfortunately, every state has different tax laws and you kind of have to figure it out by every state. Um I I would I, we'll do our best to link up uh, you know uh, some resources so that you can check it out by state. Yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning uh and again yeah. I, I'll probably put this in the beginning of the show but this is just for the United States, right? So we have listeners from all around the world they're going to have questions about tax uh you know protocol in their own country. So unfortunately this is just for freelancing in the US. Um but yeah, we'll we'll try to link up a list of different rules for your state income tax as well. And let me say this as well. Some cities or counties may also require that you pay income taxes. It's not common. It's it's okay. very rare, um, but that is something to look out for okay. as well. So you may have to pay both state and local income taxes. Yeah. I wish I could answer <laughs> it better, yeah, but advice. it depends. I think that's great. That's great. That's all right. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. We're definitely clocking in here at, at our <laughs> longest episode yet of my freelance life. Andy, do you have any more questions to throw at Nate before we wrap it up? Actually, I think I, I got them all in and it was, it was very helpful. I'm definitely anxious to dive in and actually do my filing and assembling of documents and numbers and see really what it comes out to be. But uh, thank you. That was, that was very helpful to hear. Yeah. Press. Can I, can I mention one more thing quick? Um, just so you know, with estimated payments, you can pay online. If you just, if you'll just Google it, make sure that you're on an IRS website, but you can do it all online. It's so it's, it's easy to do it that way. As long as you just link it up to your bank account, um, we could, we could spend hours and days and, and probably months or even years talking about taxes and still not cover a quarter of everything that would be applicable to, to people. It's just kind of how the tax code is right now. And, you know, so, um, it's just, it's just how it is. So hopefully it's been beneficial and, and kind of helped point you in the right direction. And then the links that, that you've mentioned press will hopefully be good resources to answer the remainder of the questions that exist. Yeah. Thank you. It, it definitely was helpful. Great. All right. Well, I'm glad we could clear some stuff up. I, I definitely learned a lot about how I should be doing things, <laughs> been doing it wrong for a long time, which I knew, but uh, now it's good to be officially on the record. So the IRS can come after me. Uh, Thank you guys so much <laughs> for joining in the conversation today. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. All right, Andy, thanks. we'll talk to you next week and we'll hear more about what you're working on as a freelancer. I'm excited to hear what you have cooking. Yeah, definitely. And some France updates too. Oh, fantastic. Very uh-huh. excited to hear about that. Okay. Well, we'll talk soon. Cool. Yeah. Have a good week. Thanks, Nate. See you. See ya. All right, there you have it, folks. Before we jump off the air, just a reminder that show notes for this episode can be found at FreelanceLifePodcast.com. And this episode is brought to you by Bench. You can visit TryBench.com to get a 30-day free trial plus 20% off of your first six months of Bench. 
Bench is literally the best bookkeeping software I have found. I've looked all over. And the reason I like the service so much is because not only do you get a great app, which you can find in a lot of different places, but also Bench will pair you with a team of finance experts who will answer your questions, balance your books, and basically put your finances on autopilot. I love using Bench to keep track of how my business is doing and to keep all of my bookkeeping in order for taxes and for paying the amazing team here at Milo. There's just lots of reasons that I really love working with Bench. You can visit trybench.com. Again, you'll save 20% on your first six months. You'll also get to try it free for 30 days. You have to use that URL, trybench.com. Try Bench. I love it and I would recommend it to anybody. My Freelance Life is a production of Milo.co. The theme song for this particular show is a song called Road Trip by Joaquin Carud. And the episode was edited by Danny Gilman of Echopod Media. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time on episode 11 of My Freelance Life. 